Welcome to Manitobaville, the Manitobaville podcast. This is Mahangel. Today we're talking to Alex Murray. Alex is with the Brandon Knights Chess Club. That's in Brandon, Manitoba, Canada, North America, world, galaxy, universe. And the next big thing that's after that and the next thing that we exist in after that and the next thing that holds all that but obviously exists within something else and so on and so on. Just like uh, in life, there's a billion moves. Hey, once you get out of the once once you get off, <laughs> once you get <laughs> once you get off Earth into a, an orbit, then there's a billion moves you can make, literally billions. And you know what? Chess is the same way. After a certain number of moves, you're into the billions. So there's a lot, a lot in common with the uh, the reality we live in, and probably why some minds um, unhinge themselves. <laughs> as you move along, the more you think about this kind of stuff. So, you know, most people try not to. We try and stay grounded with politics and um, groceries because if you start thinking too big, then at some point things unmoor and you float off into strange little worlds in your own head. So anyway, that's uh, what's up today. So, um, you know, if you're interested in that kind of thing, stick around, take a listen. It's a good interview. It's one of the best. And uh, if you got something to say about it, contact us at manitobaville.ca. Send us a donation if you want more interviews just like this one. That's a good idea because, uh, you know, between gas and travel and gear and time and energy, it's uh, it all adds up a bit. But we're happy to do it because this is what we do. Okay. Um, find us on social media if you want to contact us that way. Or if you want to, I guess, see what's coming up or going on, um, we're going to get pretty active there. Um, just search Manitobaville. And if we're not on that one, then let us know and we'll, uh, I don't know, get a presence going, I guess. You know, might as well. They're there. We're here. <laughs> You're there. You might as well triangulate the whole thing. Okay. Um, find us on your favorite podcatcher, too. You can tell you can tell people where to find us. Uh, we'll be on your favorite podcatcher, obviously. Just search Manitobaville there as well. And uh, so it's one word shopping. <laughs> It'll get you a lot of stops. Okay. And uh, stops. One stop shopping gets you stops. Shopping stops. Stops shopping. There's one stop shopping, whether you're on a podcatcher or you're on social media. That's all. Okay. Tell your friends that they can look for us you know, in all those places we just discussed. And they can also subscribe. They can rate us. They can review us. And they can uh, tell their friends which is the best. Okay, so here we are. Uh, we'll get right to it. We're sticking ads in these podcasts where we can. So we're doing a little bump bump deal and uh, that's where the ads go. So uh, right after this ad, we will get to our interview with Alex Murray. And it, the, the little sound thing goes uh, just like this. Checkmate. Well, I tried my hardest. <laughs> there we go. Fastest game in history. <laughs> I'm sure there might be some faster. Nakamura would say that he's quicker on the draw. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I guess that's... Uh, and, uh, really? That fast? No. That's be some moves, I guess, eh? <laughs> well... <laughs> If you're playing a 10-second game. Really? 
10 second what's what's a 10 second game let's get into that well there are like different time controls for chess and like the world's fastest people don't need a lot of time uh the fastest game i've ever played is probably like i i play bullet one minute chess sometimes it's really difficult but i prefer 15 minute games okay so that's Uh, just like that's just like playing a regular game really compressed time wise yeah so each player each has one minute to play all of their moves wow and then you go up from there to blitz chess, which is three to five minutes. And then up from there is rapid, which is around 15 minutes to a half an hour. Then after that, you're getting to like classical chess, which is each player gets two hours mm-hmm. for all of their moves. So those games can go to four hours plus. To Woody Allen chess, where uh, you're writing your moves and letters back and forth. Yeah, uh, well, and that is the longest. Uh, I I do that's correspondence chess. Yeah, and I play. There's a couple of apps that I use to play with friends who live in different provinces, countries, for that. Oh, cool. So, um, so you're with the Brandon Knights Chess Club, of course. Yeah. And you guys operate out of the University of Brandon, BU. It's the only venue that we can get that is both free and has the size requirements that we need. It just so happens that half of our members are university students or professors, so it just makes sense to be there. Yeah, and it's a good central place to get to, and everybody knows where it is. Yeah. Yeah. And they they probably have enough chessboards then, too. (laughs) Well, we have our own chessboards. They used to have a chess club that operated out of the university, but it went defunct about 20 years ago. And this one only got going again about four years ago. And it's been pretty good. We we keep our own chess boards just so that we have control over the mm-hmm. resources and supplies. Yeah, you don't want them uh, tampering with them and... and uh... Or losing them, or <laughs> throwing or make, them away, or making us a black winds all the time, or something. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> How many members did you start with four years ago? Uh, I wasn't even there four years ago when it got started. Um, so it it was it was pretty small, from what I've heard from some of the other members. Mm-hmm. Um, the the smallest I've seen it during my uh, tenure here in the club is probably. A Saturday where we only had about eight players. Okay. But I've also seen us up to like 35 to 40 players. Well, that's nice. And yeah. everywhere in between. Are Do people come from the surrounding area as well to play? Uh, yep. Um, there's a guy from Killarney who comes in. Sometimes some of the stronger Winnipeg players will come in if there's a we're throwing a tournament. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, uh some people from like a little like maybe an hour north of Brandon sometimes yeah so it's yeah. Uh, so people know about it I, I guess there's a chess community do you, is there a newsletter that goes out things like that uh no it, that would be nice but uh, <laughs> we 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 just get together every well it was Saturdays until the pandemic hit mm-hmm. uh, and we would Sometimes we would have a lecture by one of our stronger players about opening theory or uh, end game strategies or planning or 
one one part of it and then we would split into two groups usually me and one of the other coaches would take all the kids and we'd go and we'd play like a miniature tournament with them and they'd get a chance to learn some some of the easier strategies and yeah if if they get strong enough, we just kind of pop them over to the adult side and they play there for from then on. So so you play on Saturdays. How many games do people get in usually? Well, like formal games, like if we are doing like a semi-structured tournament, you're probably going to get five or six games. Okay. That's nice. Um, but that that's just the, the planned games for the tournament. Mm-hmm. Like if you're waiting for your next game you're probably going to sit down and play a quick one with a friend just because for fun. Right. Or the kids will take a bunch of boards if they're waiting to the side and play like bug house or what's that bug house is like you have, you're playing against one person and right beside you, there's your teammate who's playing against another person. And if you take a piece from your opponent, you can give it to your partner and they can use it against the person they're playing against. Okay, I've never, it's, heard, it's, never heard that before. That's wild. Oh, that, that's a, a really fun variation that kids really like right now. Do you ever line and up like eight boards and just play a massive like war? <laughs> so, uh, kind of. Yeah. So, um, we've done a couple of simultaneous demonstrations where our president, uh, his name's Noah Monk, he, he's a pretty strong chess player, and he played all of the kids in the club all at once, once. Wow. How many? How, like 10 kids, something like that? Yeah, he was playing, I think, 11 kids at the wow. same time. Wow. And so he would just, we set him up in a circle, and he would just kind of rotate around the circle playing a move about every 20 seconds. And he did, he, like, he won every single game. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty amazing, but it, and it is exhausting though. He he didn't <laughs> he wasn't doing so well afterwards. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of yeah. The brain burns a lot of energy in in yep. our bodies. It's amazing. And chess with its infinite variations. It's just yeah. Uh, the the formal tournaments that I played in, like in Winnipeg, I'm I'm pretty tired afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Bobby Fisher yeah. said that he uh, after the last tur- tournament he played in, because he recognized that the Russians were allowing one guy to win easily, and to get to the finals, whereas he had to work all day or the whole tournament. And he after that he he just vowed he says I'm never I'm never playing tournament chess again, but I'll take any one of them on one on one. Historically, the the Russians, especially during the Soviet era, were. They, they dominated the chess world for decades, and mm-hmm. it was for those reasons. They would, the, the upper echelons would pick who they want to be the next world champion, and then they would kind of not break the rules, but tweak and bend rules so that there were small advantages that over time made it very easy for them just to retain that top spot. How did and they... Bobby, Fish, Bobby Fischer was so incredibly good at chess though he came along and just broke that entire system mm-hmm. which helped kind of free up the chess world for new players and new champions yeah how does russia do now do, like now oh they're, they're still very good yeah 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 they're they have the most uh grandmasters per capita in the world wow still holy 
Well, it, well, it's like it, it's, it's the same way we view hockey, yeah. right? Like in Canada, you know, you have several people in your circle who play hockey or know hockey or watch hockey. Yeah. In Russia, it's the same, but with chess. Yeah, nothing else, like not nothing else to do, but that's their focus, and that's what they yeah. spend all day doing. And yes, they, and, and they pay their players to play. Really? Yeah, there's academies there where you can just play. And they can pay you to do it if you're good. <laughs> See, why doesn't we any, don't have that here? <laughs> why doesn't anybody here want communism? Right? It's like, what do you like to do? I like to sit on the sofa, watch '80s movies, and eat junk food. Hey, we'll pay you to do that, and you're going to be the best in the world. Okay, you know, it's okay. Just like, okay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> why not? Yeah, you like playing well, video they... games, kid? Here, I'm going to pay you. Like we do have that here, but yeah. It can be a, much more people. So, and then everybody else benefits because maybe you're a chess player, maybe you're a nuclear scientist or something, <laughs> you know? Well, and it also counts, like, if your culture kind of embraces that, that's one thing. But if your culture doesn't, all it takes is kind of one person to get really, really good and well-known. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of gives it more national interest. Like... The current world cha- champion, Magnus Carlsen, is from Norway. Okay. And there weren't, like, Norway, like, people played chess in Norway, but when mm-hmm. he became world champion, the amount of people who played chess went up significantly mm-hmm. because they had that, that, their guy who was in the top spot in the world. Same thing happened 80 years ago with Max Uwe from um, the the Netherlands or Belgium, I can't remember which. But uh, once once he uh, once he became world champion, it was the same thing. Everyone in this country all of a sudden wanted to play. And funnily enough, in North America and England, as soon as a TV character becomes world champion, everybody wants to play. <laughs> That's actually broken chess.com a couple of times for me. Yeah. Because the amount of players has quintupled. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes you try to get on and play a quick game while I'm waiting for an appointment or whatever, and the server's full, which has never happened before. Wow. Yeah, this has just gotten nuts. And, and I, I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, because I, I read, actually, I just finished listening to a book on the history of chess, uh, just because I had it around and uh, not for any particular plan. It just, but I watched the show and had the book and had an interest. But um, but but in it it says you know if nobody comes to the chessboard like gifted to win at chess, everybody has to learn the game. But as people get immersed in it and develop their strategies and their mind to chess, that's that's what develops the people out, and it can come from anywhere. Yes, it it is also as a, as a game, and it's a reasonably simple game to learn, but hard to be good at. Mm-hmm. It it. it it has shown me in the last couple of years that it's kind of a microcosm of how to learn anything. Because when I first started playing when I was five or whatever, I just moved the pieces like it was playing mm-hmm. checkers. Yeah. But every time I think that I know how to play, I discover some new part of this, some, mm-hmm. some new way to think about the game. And my mind expands a little bit. And I then take a deep dip in my playing ability while I try to figure this new part out. Like up up until maybe up until I joined the club, I had no real idea 
about how you could separate the different parts of a chess game into studyable kind of subjects. Yeah, yeah. So, like, opening theory is one. Tactics are another. End game is another. Planning is another. Um, it's And they're all necessary. You also have to be able to analyze your games and mm-hmm. play at that different speed speeds and... And you, takes, can, and you can study games that are hundreds of years old, too. Oh, yeah. People still study Paul Morphy's games because he was one of the best players ever. Yeah. And that was a hundred and some years ago. Yeah. That's amazing. So, yeah. And, and um, oh, was it going to... Yeah, and it's also the kind of game where, like, for somebody like me, who I, I totally enjoy the game. I, I think it's a great game. I'm not studied at it, but... You know, sometimes you can you can befuddle somebody who is good at it just by the nature of the game itself. You move a piece somewhere, you're not really aware why or whatever, and then they just go, "Oh, geez," you know, <laughs> and it causes them great pain. You weren't supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah, why, how did that happen? Like it just happens. Yeah, because you can fluke into things too, which I think makes it fun for for people who aren't very good at the game, because you can sit down and you know some crazy stuff can happen. You might, that is how you really mess up a mid-level player, and that's called getting them out of the book. Yeah. Because most mid-level players have the moves and the ideas behind the moves kind of somewhere stored in their brain. Mm. And then when someone plays a move that's out of that book, it it just wrecks them. <laughs> and world champions do it to each other, and, and grandmasters do it to each other all the time. Yeah. They if they know the player they're playing against is really good with say a English opening, they will work like crazy to get them out of that opening. So they lose that advantage. Right. Right. So you're always trying to derail the other person while keeping your game on path. Yes. And that seems to be the biggest challenge. Like you can know all the openings, the end games, the middle parts, the big overall strategies, but you can't implement it if you can't implement it. Right. You have to know why, why the move is good, not just that the move is good. Yeah. You also need to know why the move your opponent just played to get you out of book is bad or it's good instead mm-hmm. of just that it is bad. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't know the reason, the, the ideas behind these moves, then you're, you're sunk no matter what. Do you have to do you have to practice staring at your opponent without blinking? Uh, some people do, some people don't. Like, some people treat it like poker. They like yeah. they're got the hoodie hood up and their sunglasses on. And... Yeah, and they're trying to play the player, not the not the pieces. Yeah. And does that work at all, or is that just? Bobby Fischer did that uh, when he first faced Spassky for the World Championship. He played some mind games with him, like showing up late and intentionally making a very bizarre move mm-hmm. or he, ne- he never came out and said that he lost on purpose or he lost by accident the first game, but it was, it was so, it was such a strange game that Spassky was thrown off for the rest of the tournament and lost. Yeah, he also didn't. He threw a game because he was complaining about the lights and cameras. 
Yeah, and mm. was was that real or was it yeah. these mind games that he was trying to pull? Yeah, and then another yeah. one where he didn't realize that the he was doing his is a big freak out thing, but he didn't realize the clock was running. So when he finally yeah. did sit down, it was like boom, his time ran out. <laughs> and it was, but well, yeah, but then after that, they say he went to he did draws and wins the whole way. Yep. And the Spassky was just drawing, just saying, okay, draw. He'd offer a draw real fast just to uh, get on to the next game, but it wasn't, it didn't work out for him in, in the end. No, um, like the, um, the new, that show, Queen's Gambit, I know it's based on the book from 1983, mm-hmm. but the way that um, they p- portray Beth Harmon in the show mm-hmm. and how she goes to her first tournament and just wins the whole thing. Yeah. That, that is exactly how Bobby Fischer worked when he first got into tournament playing. Yeah. He, he went to his first tournament and he went 11 games in a row, won them all, and then just left. And that has never happened since. Wow. And hadn't happened before. Yeah. He just they, showed up and won. Yeah, and they didn't realize, like, he, he started as a kid that lost and then just went, oh, this is an interesting game. I don't want to lose. And, yeah. And so by the time he went to his tournament, he was, like, geared up. <laughs> and... and even better, nobody knew who he was. Yeah. He was an unknown. And so when he first got to the candidate, candidates tournament, there were a whole bunch of uh, world champion material chess players, and no one knew who he was. Mm-hmm. So he, he would just play, and he would win. And I think it was a uh, chess player named Taimanov, who was from Soviet-era Russia, and he was really good. He lost all six games against Bobby Fischer, and he quit chess permanently. He just never yeah. did it again. It just cracked him, eh? He, well, he didn't know who Bobby Fischer was. He thought mm-hmm. he got beat by some unknown <laughs> guy from nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out guy was world champion. So. And they say most of those highly gifted players, the ones that really develop, are uh, they become a little paranoid, a little, little mentally off. Excuse me. And I think they, that's the same in every subject area. You get yeah. people who are into really high end physics and they're a bit cracked. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Because in, in the book that was talking about, because when you're when you're learning the game, you don't always have opponents, so you end up playing against yourself, and then you're having to turn your mind on and off, black white, black white strategies, all this stuff. And they say it all, and it just accumulates where every you don't know if you're going to win against the next person. The pressure is there. It's incredible. You know, there's so much, like it said, it's four moves in and already there's billions of possibilities on the board. Yes. You know, and it's just like, oh, wow. You know, <laughs> like you can't control it no matter how much you know about it. No, it's, that's what I like about it. it and I think I would even like chess though, if it was a solved game, like checkers or uh, tic-tac-toe. Mm-hmm. Because those are solved games. People yeah. know how to win them every time. Um, it, chess is not a solved game, but I think even if some supercomputer did solve it, these, this is a series of moves you do to win every time. Mm-hmm. I would still enjoy it. I would still play. Yeah. Well, you're just saying that because it's not a solved game yet. <laughs> well, that might be true. It's a safe thing to say. But I guess, yeah, if you had that attitude towards it, I guess that helps enjoy it lifelong and still be able to... Uh, to function, I guess, because <laughs> you well, don't get yeah. you, you don't get that wrapped up in it. Yeah, and it is something you can do through your whole life. If if you like to play hockey, there's going to be an upper age limit to that 
you're playing well. Mm-hmm. But there are former world champions playing right now who are in their 50s and 60s, and they, they just keep going. Like um, 130 years ago, uh, Henry Bird was a famous chess player in the U.S., and he played into his 80s, and he he played very well, and he never stopped. Hmm. Yeah. What did he do, like, for a living? Do you know? Other than... Oh, I can't even remember, you know? But he had a life, but I guess, course, and a job and I... stuff like that. Yeah, well, it, it is kind of weird right now that we have professional chess players. Because when, like, for a very long time, if you were a world champion, you also had a day job. I think Max Uwe was the last world champion who worked as a math professor, and that was his job, but he was also the world champion. Mm-hmm. But since then, in, the, like, the 1930s, every world champion has just made their money playing chess. But mm-hmm. uh, Henry Bird, he probably worked in some field involving math. Yeah. And because that, that just seems to track... He, he was also the guy who invented the bird's opening. Okay. What's that? Is it uh, specific enough to talk about? It's an aggressive opening um, where you kind of leave your king in a less than safe spot in order to get a really, really aggressive attack on your opponent. Okay. And that's what they talk about, like the Queen's Gambit. Um, I didn't know what that meant. I just always thought it sounded cool like everybody else. But I looked into it, and apparently it's you're willing, a gambit means you're willing to give up that piece to get a a bigger advantage elsewhere. Yeah, like peace activity. You're giving up a pawn so that both of your bishops can run across the whole board, or your knights have opening squares all over the place, or your queen has a straight line somewhere on the board, or your rooks can get out faster. Like you're giving up one piece, one point, like a pawn, mm-hmm. and and gaining all of this maneuverability. So for a person like me, like I guess I always played where losing anything was bad, so you wanted to keep everything, but it also gummed up the works. What do you what do you call that? Uh, is that can you tell that kind of player? <laughs> so that's just a defensive player. Yeah. Um, you you play defensively, and and there's a lot of professional chess players who play like that and i guess in, i guess in my case it's because you don't i don't understand that you can play more aggressively by by giving pieces up yeah two two uh famous chess players were the opposites of the of this uh tigran petrosian was the ultimate defensive player he would often not play the best move and just quietly build up an overwhelming advantage he wouldn't play aggressively. He would mm. just defend, defend, defend until his opponent was squeezed to death. Yeah. And yeah. then yeah. you had another one uh, like Mikhail Tal, who would throw pieces away like crazy. He would he would be down five or six pieces, but he would win because he was so aggressive, and he would sacrifice all of those just to get at the enemy king and and get it. Yeah, just open himself up. So I guess that's like when you learn to play. I guess that's one thing I never learned was was let let that piece go and look what this one can do. So, and I guess there's all stages of that as you learn more and more about the game. You're you're realizing you can uh, you can do things with that. Yeah, there's always another layer. 
I, I've never chess is something that you can spend your entire life learning and, and you're never going to know it all. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is a very good kind of way to teach young people that learning for learning's sake is, is just only beneficial. And it's, and it's good for what, what, what kind of work do the people in the chess club do, for example, like what is, what is the variety of other things that they have going on in their lives, including yourself? Okay, so I, I am an elementary school teacher. Ah, I teach okay. for five, six. Okay. Um, just here in Brandon. Mm-hmm. And the president of our club is, is a university student in physics. Okay. Um, one of our other stronger members is a university professor for computer science and mathematics, which ah. makes sense. Uh, we have a guy who's a manager at a bank. We have, let's see, we have, like, all of the kids are just students. Anyone under 16 is a student. Mm-hmm. Um, we have one professional, like, chess coach. He's pretty, he's pretty good. Um, and we we have, like, a mechanic that comes. We have... A guy who works at Walmart. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of as varied as the people themselves. So I guess that makes for a nicer, nice dynamic too. On a Saturday, you have you have real people. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and honestly, that guy who works at Walmart, I've never beaten him. He's <laughs> he is. Yeah, he picked the right job where he can he can, he can relax his mind somewhat and focus. Yeah. Maybe while he's working, he's thinking chess. Yeah. And, and some of the kids are, kids just absorb information. They're, they're sponges and they, in a couple of years, some of them are going to be dangerous. Mm-hmm. We had a, a little kid, he was only seven and he, he was reading chess books. He was doing the theory. He was doing the openings and the end games and the tactics. And he would beat about half of the adults in the club on any given day. Mm-hmm. Like, oh. unless you were one of our strong contenders, yeah. like he, he could, you had to pay attention when you were playing him because he was good. Wow. Yeah. Up and comers. Hey, we have a, don't we, we have some grandmasters and I know we have, we had one pass away. Uh, was it 2014 or so? Um, which one? <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. I'm bad with names. So I'm gonna just hand this whole conversation over to you now for this, and and because um, because I don't know how many we've had. I don't know. I was just reading up some about this, and there's a current guy that's out now traveling the world, a younger well, young guy. Well, we we've, we've got uh, some younger guys, and and some of them like are are in their twenties who are like chess streamers, like um, like Chess Bra. I can't remember his name, but um. Who, I'm trying to figure out who you're talking about. Is, is he from Winnipeg? Because there was a, a grandmaster from Winnipeg for yeah. a very long time who died recently. Yeah, I think so. Um, let me just look that up. Hello, Google. Uh, Winnipeg Grandmaster Chess. Yanofsky? I bet it was Yanofsky. Yes, Yanofsky. Daniel Abraham Yanofsky. Yeah, he, he, he was, like, he wasn't born in Canada, but he moved to Winnipeg when he was, like, four or something. But uh, uh, Born he, in Ukraine, it says here, yeah. 
born in yeah. Ukraine, died in 2000. Yeah, he, um, there's a tournament in Winnipeg that uh, my friend Noah played in before COVID hit. And that the, the whole tournament there was named after Yanovsky. So was he, he was but, pretty good? Yeah, he was. He, uh, I think he played against some of the world champions when they came to Canada. Like Tal, maybe? I'm having a hard time remembering. Yeah, but he was, he was, so he was worldwide, like, top end? Yes, yes, very much so. Hmm. Um, there's Eric Hansen. He's a young guy who travels quite a bit. He's, he's pretty good. He's in the top 10 for Canada for sure. Um, and then we've just got some younger people who are maybe aren't grandmasters yet, who mm-hmm. are kind of famous, who do a lot of work on the internet, like YouTubers and stuff like that. Like um, the Botez sisters are, are pretty big right now on Twitch and YouTube. Okay. I was thinking, I think the guy I'm thinking is Isaac, Isaac something... Um, there's a Mennonite last name. Mm. Weeb. Isaac Weeb. Do you know him? Uh, I haven't studied any of his games, but I, yeah, he, he's one of the Canadians that we, you hear about. Yeah. And he's from, yeah. So he's from Manitoba, Winnipeg, I guess. Oh, he's an electrical engineering student. <laughs> of course. <laughs> there you yeah. Go. Makes sense. Yeah. Cause I was reading something about, yeah, I was just looking up who'd interview and that's, I found you guys. And I was like, great. I want to talk to somebody in Brandon. And, uh, but I was looking at his thing and yeah, I guess on chess.com or somebody said, okay, so I'm, I'm, uh, leaving Canada for a while to travel and play chess. I guess that was a couple of years ago, maybe. So it's, oh, so the thing is, cause you say, if you go to a tournament, you'll play your tournament games and then you play in between games. Some people make their whole living playing chess. Is it like, when you play professional pool, there's a back room where you can go in and make bets and, and win money that way. Is, is that a, a corollary in there? I haven't been to a tournament with, with that back room area. I, I know like you'll go get lunch with some of the other players and you'll talk about the games and do analysis kind of over food. I I've had it where you can meet up at a bar and, and do the same thing. Hmm. I haven't seen any gambling. That would be interesting, though. Yeah, because um, it seems made for it. Like, you're talking about these real quick games. Like, if you win your tournament yeah. game and you got an hour, you can go yeah. and make some coin, right? And you can supplement well, your income. <laughs> I've seen players bet on themselves, but I've never seen people bet on other people. Oh, okay, like a professional gambling board, kind of, you know, with odds yeah, and stuff. Yeah, like, like, I've seen people play a dollar a, a point on it over a chess board. So okay. if I end the game and I have 27 points and you have 24 points, I pick up three bucks. There right. you go. Okay. So, okay. So that's a pretty quiet way of betting then. You're not just betting on who wins and the stack of cash or whatever. You don't have to. There's a, there's yeah. a couple different ways. Sometimes it's like $5 a game. Um, I know in some of the bigger cities like Toronto, you have the chess hufflers downtown who just mm. sit at the public boards and it's a five-minute game, so it's it's blitz. So you got to move quick, and they're really good. And you pay them five dollars if you win. You get your five plus another five. If they win, they take your five. Okay, so and they, up, yeah. they they make their living doing that. Yeah, because I was I was gonna mention the word hustle, but uh, you brought it up first, <laughs> so that's good. But because I was thinking, yeah, can you hustle playing chess? Or there, like, obviously, there must be chess hustlers oh, yeah. out there. 
Yeah, I know it's really big in New York, uh, chess hustling. Uh, Washington, D.C. will have it. But it, that I, – I don't know if, if it happens in other countries. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Yeah. Those are just the ones I know. Okay. Um, what other kind of weird things go on at chess? Like what, what kind of tournaments have you been to? Like in what's, I've only been to a couple in Winnipeg. Okay. My job kind of keeps me here. Yeah. I can't just. And yeah. <laughs> th- this year was our plan. We, my friend, the president Noah, myself, and a guy named James, we were all planning to go to a tournament in Ontario and one in Saskatoon or Saskatchewan, and then a couple here in Manitoba. We were going to make a year of trying to get to five tournaments because okay. we were all feeling pretty good. Maybe we could start doing this a little more, representing our club. And of course, pandemic hits. Yeah, you guys. So I've, that was just the world saying you guys aren't quite ready. Take another year, polish yeah. up, read more books. Well, I, I've got to read a couple more books. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I've only been to a couple, including the like, excluding the ones that we throw here in Brandon, mm-hmm. which sometimes I play in, sometimes I like I'm a ref, sometimes I'm just one of the organizers. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm definitely not the strongest player in our club, so I I do not mind taking kind of a back seat and like being the guy who works the table and announces who's going up on which board next. Yeah, make it happen for other people. Get other people yeah. involved. Yeah, open your arms. How many yeah. people show up for your tournaments? What's your high point? High water mark? Biggest tournament we had we had uh, we had well it was two sides. So like there was the kids side. There was about twenty kids playing. And then the adults was about eighteen. Okay, that was a really good that was a really good tournament for us. We were planning another big one back in April, but again, yeah, yeah, pandemic hits because we were just like this was three and a half years into the club being a thing. We were hitting our stride, mm-hmm. and then we're just kind of not waiting until this breaks to get back into it, but it's definitely put a damper on our activities. Yeah. But I guess, are you getting more people interested, like through the Queen's Gambit and stuff? Are people contacting you and saying, okay, we've when, had a couple. Yeah. when pandemic's over, we're going to show up kind of thing? We've had a couple, yeah. Um, the club's kind is trying to move online right now. So we, we do our own little streaming every Sunday where there's some lessons and some games. But it's... It's just not the same as playing in person. Everyone wants to be back looking over the board playing in a in an actual physical place. Yeah. Yeah. And do you do you get uh people to just come to watch the games too who aren't playing? Uh the parents from some of the kids will stay and watch. Um some of the like cuz we're playing out in the open at the university. Some of the other students will just hang out and watch. Mm-hmm. Um most of the games are watched by the other players. Yeah, because they they're just like, oh, that's interesting. I'm gonna write that down and try that out in my next game. I was gonna ask you, what kind of person would would get a kick out of watching live chess being played in in real time? Is is it does it lend itself to just the average somebody walking by? Go, oh, chess is being played. How long would they hang out if they weren't the chess enthusiast? It depends on the people. The chess enthusiasts are the ones who kind of. If they're walking by and unaware that we, we exist, they'll sit down and go, wow, and they'll stay for two hours and talk and maybe play a couple games between rounds. And um, 
if they're just university students, they'll like no, they know how to play and they're like interested and they ask what's going on and they stay for a little bit and then they leave because they have class or they they have to go study for an exam. So mm-hmm. it, it's kind of a spectrum as well. So okay, so you don't get to like adults off the like people just coming specifically then to be an observer, like a an it's, audience member. As a, as a a person who really enjoys the game. If I'm there, I'm going to want to play. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with them. If they're showing up and they're really interested in, in the game, they're going to want to sit down and play too. And they shouldn't be shy about it, I guess, because the university, you got lots of room there. So you can expand. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So that's a big encouragement to anybody in Brandon or Westman when you can get in there after the pandemic's over the, yeah uh, it's, chess galore saturdays you guys play that's your yeah we we were doing every saturday from two until around five or six okay so they can get their shopping done they can have a little yeah. lunch then they can come expand their mind or blow their mind or whatever play chess yep. galore and then uh go for dinner with some chess people talk chess play some speed games and then yeah. uh, have some drinks play more speed games maybe make three bucks a game lose three bucks a game and then they can go home they can have a nice little trip home the um (laughs) sounds like a great day it's it's funny that you should mention the shopping because the people like who come from out of town to play they'll they're also coming in because if they live in killarney there's not a lot of services there that they need every couple of months Mm -hmm. like i need to go get something from a hardware store that they don't have in Clarney. Yeah. So they'll they'll make a day of it and then come play chess. And yeah. Do, uh, do they typically stay over? Like, is it good for the hotels then as well and the restaurants? No, they usually go home by the end. Like yeah. even, even the people from Winnipeg, they come, they play, they they take off. Huh. It would be really nice to do a multi-day tournament because mm-hmm. that's where you see the stuff that you're talking about, where. People are staying overnight. People are meeting up for food afterwards. It's crazy expensive to throw one of those, though, because you need to you need a venue. Yeah, you, you need prizes. Well, the university has a bar and a, and a and a big space and a cafeteria. Maybe they can work something out. Well, we we do. That's where we, we play between the cafeteria and the Louis Riel room yeah. or a uh, lecture hall. Um, but um. It's the bar is gone. Oh, is it was it was it called Suds? That one? It it was. It's it's gone now. Why? It closed. Not enough interest. What's wrong is, with students in bed? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, it's funny you should mention that. I actually had the last <laughs> drink at that bar with my friend the night they closed. Oh wow! You know, that was my last year in university. That was about five years ago. <laughs> Wow, they closed. I can't believe. What a new generation, eh? Like, man. Well, it, <laughs> yes, it's it, like there were people there, but never enough to keep it yeah. really successful. So they closed it. It's now a cafe. Man, all these drunken driving laws and all this, uh, you know, all the harsh penalties <laughs> yeah. and look at the bars start closing. Everyone wants coffee instead, apparently. Oh, and that stuff's horrible for you. <laughs> yeah, you make terrible decisions on coffee. Yeah, it gets you too too wired up. No wonder people's brains explode. They start drinking coffee and playing chess. Yeah. You need a beer. You need to calm your mind, open your, relax, take your inhibitions down a step and, you know, 
It's a slippery, it's a slippery slope, Tommy. Tom. <laughs> we did a, I used to work in TV and we did a story once on a dart player, professional dart player. I can't remember, I think his nickname was Darth Maple and he'd won the big competition in England and he's from Canada, but he was at a tournament somewhere in, in Saskatchewan or somewhere and they followed him and the producers said he, and it was an actual tournament, so he wanted to, to make some money and he was, he was playing really poorly. And so he, he turned to his girlfriend and he said, go get me a double vodka, really like hurry. And uh, <laughs> she brought it back to him right away and he just downed it, boom. And about three minutes later, he was just making his shots. Poof, poof. <laughs> so like, there, there are definitely some players like that. Yeah. They're so jazzed up by, by playing after a couple of games that they need to level themselves out. So I've seen similar uh, coping strategies. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it, it's, it depends on the person. Mm-hmm. Um, my, myself, um, I, if, in the first three games, I do need some, like I need to force myself to kind of think critically, slow down because I'm, I'm excited. So I'll move too quickly and make a mistake. Mm-hmm. But if, if I can keep that in the back of my mind, I tend to play better, slow down. You know that that's like every, I don't play, I haven't played chess really at all lately in a lot of years. But I remember sitting, like even in high school, was, I was just so excited that you'd understand the game and, and it was a complex game and it was great and it was fun to be playing it. Yeah, just getting really, you know, before you even start, just being sort of wound up, just going, yeah. wow, what's going to happen in this game? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win this game. And then slowly being disheartened as I made bad moves or <laughs> slowly started <laughs> to lose. And probably, you know, by the time the game was over, it's probably back to my level again. But but yeah. the next game, it was the same thing. It was just like, ah, oh, this can be so fun and exciting and you know, it's just well, it's because no matter what your ability level is, the, like the game itself is a perfect information game. Everyone has the same amount of information on the board. It, it's cheating is very difficult. Yeah, yeah, it's impossible. Well, is it? Yeah, it is possible. Okay, and how do you, you cheat? You would see you, you some, some kind of underhanded tricks by Soviet era Russians who, who would kind of. A game could sometimes take two or three days. So in between moves, like overnight, they would meet up with like five other grandmasters and oh, go yeah. over, oh, go over the game and see, yeah. okay, do this next, do this next, do this next, which is technically not against the rules. Anyone yeah. can do that. Yeah, just just strategizing with other people. They just happen but, to be top end people. Yeah, and I. Like if I if I win that way, I I don't feel like my win is as clean as it otherwise could have been. It's not just me winning; it's the whole team, which yeah. can work if that's the culture you've built in your chess club. But well, working together point, like that, it's not the American way. No, it's individualistic, right? Yeah, so. we gotta we gotta be the guy with the axe. I felled that huge tree with my axe. I did that. Yes. You know, whereas the Russians go, well, we had twenty people in there and it was very efficient, and we did it just as well <laughs> you know what's the yep. difference or like well you don't yeah it's a pride individualistic pride element to it yeah and th- there are other ways to cheat like they'll use um like if you can hide a uh, bluetooth speaker in your ear and get someone to call your moves from oh, okay but there's nothing the- on the board you can do to cheat like that's the thing it all yeah. happens yeah. off the board if you're gonna have an advantage yeah. 
Yeah. The, the game is, is just all of the information is there for both players. It's how well you analyze the information mm-hmm. that makes you win or lose. So you can't glue their pieces down or anything like that. Right. <laughs> so you can't deflate the queen. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't move them in between. Like if it's, if you're adjourning overnight, you can't come in and sneak their pieces, move them at one or two spots. So they might not notice because everybody Although, knows, what, everybody knows where the board is. Right. Well, usually it's funny. You should mention that. Uh, we had an exhibition once where the, uh, the math professor who who's in our club, he was simultaneously playing uh, about 24 kids and he was just moving around the room, moving his pieces. Mm-hmm. And by the end of it, there was only one kid left and the professor was losing. And we finally figured out why, as he would move on to the other play, the other players, the kid would take the pieces that he'd lost and put them back on the board. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy, you think he'd catch that because you're playing in the mentally, you know where all the pieces are, right? But with 24 games, yeah. it's much harder to do. Oh, that's no excuse. The guy's a math professor. Come on. <laughs> that's what I told him. Yeah, he's probably got tenure and everything. Come on. There's no excuse. He's yeah. a kid. <laughs> that's funny, though. Was the kid, I guess the kid was, you know, screwing. Oh, he was just being cheeky about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, he's just screwing with It was with more him. funny than see malicious. If, see if he notices or whatever, yeah. I guess because yeah. people experiment. Kids will experiment with that. It's part of the learning phase. Yeah, they gotta they gotta find yeah. the boundaries. And yeah, do see people? How far they can yeah, be will, this, will this guy notice I'm putting the pieces back on? And then he's probably, out, yeah, <laughs> eventually while. somebody's gonna yeah, as they focus on just your game. You can see what's going on. Wow. Right. Okay, so what else? What else about chess should the average person know that we don't um, know that we think we know but we don't know? It's easy to learn, but uh, tough to be really good at. But that does. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't play it. it. It it is a game of learning. If you're there to win, of course, sometimes you're going to have a bad time. But if you're there to just learn, you can't really lose. Mm-hmm. I've I've gotten up, uh, upset after some defeats. Yeah, <laughs> especially if I if I've made a very silly move. But it's it's a tempering process. Yeah, because um, it's, it's also. Well, I was going to say, it's like, it's like playing pool or something. You make a, a, a bad shot. You, you knew you could have made it, but then the, that's over. You don't get yeah. a redo on it. And you're like, ah, it's, it's, it's almost like it's your own fault. And so you're blaming yep. yourself. And that, that's why the emotional reaction is it's so strong because there, you can't blame it. The sun was not in your eyes. Mm-hmm. A dog was not barking. It is all on you. Yeah. Um, yeah. there, uh, and there are some chess players who who will be intentionally annoying across the board from you to kind of get you out of your groove. But I mean, they're reasonably easy to ignore. Uh, another thing that people should know that it is one of the cheapest pastimes that you can have. Hockey yeah. requires yeah. some money. Lots of money. Yeah. For for the equipment and ice time, joining leagues, ice time, oh yeah. gas money, food money, and the things. Yeah, you can pick up a chessboard at a hobby shop for fifteen dollars. You do not need a lot of money for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you get those little wee ones even for travel and cars or if you're on trips. Yep. Well, I I, I bought a tournament level board for forty five dollars and a clock, and and that that serves you as as long as you have it. Mm-hmm. Chess pieces. I mean, they may, might get chipped, but they're not going to break. 
Unless yeah, they're made still, out of glass. Well, even if you have half of the piece, it still represents that piece and you can still play. Yeah. Like it's not like a yeah. broken hockey stick or a, a dull skate. Right. And it's, it, it, it is far more accessible than almost any other pastime. Just for the low amount of equipment you need and the, you don't need a venue. You don't need anything. You just need a board and a place to put the board. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, that's why it, I think it has been, has been so successful in the world. It, it, it's a low cost and low overhead pastime. Mm-hmm. Getting, Similar to like writing. You just need a pen and a paper. Yeah. And, get, and getting back to, well, and even, yeah, that's a good analogy because the pen and the paper is just there to record what's going on in your head anyway. Like your writing is in your head and yeah. the chess game's in your head. So these are just representative placeholders to keep track of what you're already thinking about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now that you say that, I like it even more. Yeah. You can yeah, use it. <laughs> but I was going to, uh, hockey, uh, getting mad at yourself, letting that affect your game. Would the goalies be better at chess because, you know, they're always getting scored on and they always have to just move on so and keep calm because they have to stop the next shot, right? Is that, do you, do you find, maybe you can have uh, hockey guys show up, the goalies, make it a little I think, team. <laughs> I think because you have to be a little more patient as a goalie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, I think that'd be closer than one of the, the offensive players. So should you go to to benefit your own game? Would you go hang out then with some goalies and go through goalie practice, listen to their coach, try and absorb um, that mindset a little bit, not take the like shots, me, of course, or risk hurting yourself by, you know, whatever. There, but there is quite a bit of intersectionality between chess and and other sports, specifically for training reasons. Like uh, Magnus Carlsen plays soccer, mm-hmm. just be, because it keeps him active and. Honestly, sitting at a board for five hours on a stretch is, is probably not good for you. Like, it, it is exhausting. Yeah. You burn a ton of calories just thinking. But for your back, probably not. So you got to keep in reasonably good shape. Bobby Fisher did a lot of, like, swimming mm-hmm. just to keep himself physically active so that he could keep playing the game. And, yeah. I mean, very – like, I, I – before the pandemic – preferred going to the gym and jogging but mm-hmm. uh not as difficult to pull off now but a little bit more yeah it throws so, a wrench in your whole routine though right you know it, it does and and so you'll find like uh, tournament level players and above they do have some physical thing maybe not as formalized as like training with hockey goalies but they they do have something physical that they do to keep themselves mentally and physically sharp for when they actually do play in big tournaments. And those USSR guys probably didn't have a lot of food teeth, so they didn't have to worry about being out of shape that way. And... <laughs> well, I'm, I'm also going to say that they, they, they were probably pretty well policed. Yeah. And well nourished, but just not overly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing I, you talk about sitting in a chair and you sort of back. I find through my fluctuations of different fitness levels, the more fit or the more lighter I am, the easier it is to sit in a chair by far. Whereas if I'm, you know, in a heavier period and, you know, not as active because I'm sitting all the time or, you know, just eating and working and sitting, it gets really hard on the back to sit. 
It does, uh, yeah. And so just, yeah, just being in some kind of, even if you're just walking the other part of the day and, or, or, you know, anything, and just cutting down on your food intake, it can help with your, like, sitting in that chair, which then, because you're not thinking about your body, you can put all your your faculties towards the game and, and really challenge people. Yep. My, uh, the president of the club will cite statistics at you about how playing in one tournament burns the same amount of calories as running a, a half marathon. And I have not verified it, but I do trust him. Mm-hmm. Well, it <laughs> because, is, yeah, because the brain burns, like when you're thinking and, and working mentally, yeah, they show how it's like 90% of your calories can go through your brain. Well, you burn more calories sleeping when you have a dream than, you watch when, than when you are watching TV yeah. for the same reason. Yeah, it's wild, eh? <laughs> Man. Oh, so uh, uh, talking about then, because sports, sports have psychologists and they have coaches and that, and chess seems to just have coaches. Are there any chess psychologists? Um, okay, there is, there's a guy who wrote a book called The Woodpecker Method. It's all about chess and how to get good at anything. But he is a, uh, I guess he'd be the closest thing to a chess psychologist. So the woodpecker method. I'm just gonna look up his name right now. I can't remember it. Uh, it's interesting because a lot of psychologists could get into uh, just put chess chess uh, psychologists or you know different kinds of psychology. They probably get some business. Yeah. So two authors actually. Um, Axel Smith and Hans Tikkanen. Okay. And they were psychologists before they were really chess players. And they studied the psychology of learning chess. And then they kind of applied it to themselves. And they watched their abilities get really, really good, really, really fast using what they call the woodpecker method. Wow. So so that, that would be, so it does exist. I don't think it is as, prominent as it is in other sports but it is there yeah so and that's something you know even from the psychology side of it people should look into to help people like you know if you guys have you know you're starting to develop some top players but they got you know like you say you got the the excitable mind or you got the you know you're you're going oh i made bad moves because i just didn't take my time like they could work with those people as well not on the chess side of it but on their why did you do that why are you you know, excitable or why are you this or that, you know, and just sort people yeah. out and then just your game sorts out a bit. Yeah. Work, work out that, um, those, those, uh, gaps in, in your brain that are kind of preventing you from, from going further. However, saying that we've there for some reason, chess has attracted in the past people with mental illnesses, usually to great effect. Yeah, and and they're usually fantastic players. Yeah, and then their and their demise is usually fantastic and and wild too. Yeah, they usually burn out and or yeah. uh, blow up instead of burn out, rather. Yeah, which is you know I I don't know why that's such a bad thing anymore. Like no, why, I, I why not? Fine. Why not achieve the highest you can and you know Sycharis, right? Why yeah, not? Yeah, and then just then just leave. There, yeah. I won. See ya. Or go crazy or whatever, explode or yeah. whatever it is. But that. You know, because I I don't know. I don't need to see a, a old people who are good at. The, I don't know. It's, I guess it's nice to see somebody who's really old who achieved, but it always seems like they've had more of a stable life. Whereas yeah. the ones that really that you're you're going, wow, that was amazing. That person, 
and they're gone and you can't even talk to them and it's just a mystical you know thing yeah. they 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 kind of broke everything on the way in and you just kind of left wondering how and why yeah yeah and then you want to be them but not really yeah. but it, yeah. gives, it gives you something to get up in the morning for and try to emulate yeah it's always very it always in, uh, leads to a little more drama in the game too yeah. which is good at times people well, like a narrative and that that's kind of where it comes from yeah if you want to be on tv or on the newspaper you got to bleed right yeah <laughs> otherwise they don't care <laughs> no they don't it's it's something Hey, was, there's a guy, I'm not sure you'd know about this because it was very brief. I think it was back in the 90s. A guy who was, he was trying to develop new sports and he had one he thought was going to be the kicker, the biggest sport ever. And it was uh, one round of boxing followed by, I don't know if it was like five minutes of chess or a number of moves. So the two opponents would box for a round and then they would have to sit down and play a certain number of moves of chess. Then they would go back and box another round. Then they would have to come back. And, and so it was alternating. And he said it was fascinating because as, as you physically uh, wore down, it reflected in your chess game. That That is, I, I, like I, I've seen a couple of videos online of people doing that. Um, okay. okay. It, it looks incredibly hard. I think it was invented in, I want to say Europe, by, uh, yeah, by maybe an right. artist. Like an artist or yeah, something? Yeah. Um, yeah. One's a flamboyant people, yeah. Yeah, who who want some intersectionality in their pastimes and that and that's great. It looks like fun. I, I'd probably do it once or twice. Well maybe <laughs> that's that's how you get people back after COVID. You say, and we're gonna have a an exhibition on boxing. Sunday. If you stay over at a, one of our fine Brandon hotels and have breakfast in a, one of our fine little restaurant, breakfast restaurants, you can come the next day and watch. So and so and so and so do this thing. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> That'd be wild. Well, it might as well make it a bit of a spectator sport. It is. It's, it's just Canada, especially Brandon, doesn't have doesn't have as much interest as say Russia does, or or like a lot of um, countries in Eastern Europe because of their history are, are very similarly engaged. Uh, India has a lot of chess players. Um, I, I would, I'm really happy the Queen's Gambit came out because once this pandemic is over, I, I, it would be really nice to kind of capitalize on that, get some new players in and get, get some bigger tournaments going yeah. and with spectators. Now that people kind of understand the drama behind a single chess move it would be really nice to have people show up and go oh, they did that they yeah. moved to h5 i've never seen that before yeah and maybe even have an announcer talking about what the move was and explaining to people and because like in the queen's gambit they had the radio people right oh, yeah and this is what happened he moved to e4 and oh my god it opened up a whole new world and you know then people are going okay yeah 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 that's what it did okay what's the next move going to be you know puts them on edge yeah. a little and and it it is really nice because it it's because it's a slower game you can have some audience participation not participating in the actual game mm -hmm. so they they can rip out their own board yeah set up the position 
look at it themselves. Oh, I would do this. Oh, I might not do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can play a few yeah. moves ahead and see what what happens. And and maybe they're right. Yeah. Maybe they're wrong. But it, you always. Do you want them shouting their, encouragement at the player? Maybe put up some I, chain lean fencing so they can lean on and rattle it and go, "Come on, move your king." No, I, I, I've, <laughs> I've seen stuff like that in the kids' end of the tournament. Yeah, a like, lot of judgments. A yeah. lot of judgments. Well, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that it also is. like for spectators, if you got a, one of your microbreweries involved as well, because there's if there's a lot of time when the game's going on, there's a lot of time for the spectators to have a beer or something and. You're out. giving me all sorts of good ideas for when we get going again. Yeah, it's more than just chess. It's a yeah. chess almost becomes well, it'd be, it's the thing. It's the main thing. It's the MacGuffin, but it's like a Hitchcock movie. The MacGuffin, you know, it, it drives the movie, but you really never know what it's all about, and you don't need to. <laughs> the, the MacGuffin itself it has no use. Yeah, but the movie is about it. But everything else is built around yeah. it. All the colorful stuff. <laughs> yeah, and, and that kind of tracks with how most tournaments. The most big tournaments I've heard about or been to work. You play one one long game in the morning and then one long game in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And maybe one more in the evening, but it depends on what kind of person you are. Not everyone is good at every part of the day. I play significantly better in the morning. Mm-hmm. If I'm playing late at night, I'm especially after a day of teaching, I'm <laughs> I'm I'm kind of sunk even before I start. Yeah. But um, it's and some people prefer playing late at night, so that's why you have it spread out over a day, so all players get an equal chance at at getting that amount of points or wins. Okay. Unless you're playing like a rapid tournament, in which case you're playing like five games in three hours. Yeah. So most tournaments they're round robin where you everybody plays. So when you when you sign up, you're guaranteed, even if you lose them all, but you're going to get five or six games in. You're 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 going to get at least five, yeah. depending on the tournament. Like the tournaments that we've had, you're going to get five, and then we like as you win or lose, you're separated in A side and B side. And, right, and then it's knockout, and then yeah, yeah, winners move on, which is good. But I like the round robin aspects instead of just the, you know, yeah. like if you're going to show up to play chess, at least you get to really play. And if you lose every game, you're playing against great players. You're learning, you're having a great the experience. Best, you're meeting them. The best games of chess that I've ever played. To a game, I've lost all of them. Yeah. The best chess I played; those are the games where I'm playing a very good player. Yeah. And and I knuckle down, and I'm really giving it, and I walk away exhausted but happy because I lost, but it was close. Yeah, yeah. You feel fulfilled. You learned something. You had a great time. Yeah, and you... and usually those kind of players are nice enough to spend a minute or two after the game, pointing exactly where you went wrong. You mm-hmm. did this. You did this one thing once, ah. and that was it. No, yeah, and they took advantage, and off you went. They did, because they can spot that tiny advantage. And it's also important in tournaments to play those multiple games, because because of the nature of the game, white has a small advantage. You're going to win more often with white because they move first. Mm-hmm. So you want an equal number of games played as white and as black so that it it reflects your abilities better. Right, right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, anything else that you can think of? Have I, have I opened your mind up and there's other thoughts in there? Well, 
I mean, I could talk about chess for days. It's it's just a lot of fun. Um, it's so how do well how do people get a hold of you then and and your uh, the Brandon Knights and so that at least they can get synced up with you and maybe signed up in advance of uh... so our uh, our email address is Brandon Knights Chess. Oh, hold up! I don't want to mess this up. Okay. <laughs> I'll put a link to you guys too, and all this stuff I put up. Sure, so we should have a website at this point, but but yeah. um, okay, we are yeah. Brandon Knight's Chess Club, all one word, no capitals. Mm-hmm. Or oh, sorry, not no club. Brandon Knight's Chess. Okay, Brandon no Knight's Chess. Yeah, no capitals, no spaces, no okay. underscores. And it's Knight with a with a K because it's the knight. yeah. yeah. Yeah, Brandon Knight's chess at gmail.com. Okay, that's easy. And um, yeah. yeah, so they can, how much does it cost to join the club? Or is there costs involved? Or I guess we didn't even touch on that. You come on Saturdays, you play two bucks to play for the whole day. That gives us the funding to buy new boards, new pieces, new clocks. Okay, and is there food and stuff around there, like on, on campus? Uh, yeah, we, we usually play in the cafeteria, so you can just go get food whenever you like. Oh, perfect. Okay. And, yeah, as far as I know, the cost won't change. If, if it's a bigger tournament, like a, a really structured bigger tournament, prices will go up to 5 or $10. Okay, so you don't actually have to join the club. You just have to show up. Yeah, you just show up. We don't have dues or anything like oh, that. Okay. You just come, pay $2, play as much as you like. Okay, well, that's that's easy. Yeah, so if yeah. you're coming from out of town, you don't got to worry about the paperwork being right. You just have to show up. Uh, absolutely. Oh, perfect. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna go dig out a chess set now. I think. You oh. know what I? You know what I found for like twenty bucks was a uh, replicas of the Lewis Chessmen, a full set. Oh really? Yeah. Cool. That'd, that'd be cool. <laughs> it was like I couldn't believe it. When I yeah, actually that's... showed up to look at the thing, I was like, okay, they don't know what they got here. Like so, at a garage sale or something? Yeah, it was like on, I don't know, Kijiji or something. I just saw them and I was like, that those look, because I'd, I'd known, I'd read a book. Um, it was uh, part of the Lewis trilogy by Peter May. And one of one was about the Lewis chessmen. Somebody, it was, it was a mystery that revolved around it. But of course, he explains all about them in the book. And uh, so I had that information in my head. And then I just saw it somewhere, like on Kijiji or something. I just saw, and it looks familiar. And I was, I was, that looks like that. And I figured they, for the price, there would just be some cheap plastic replica, kind of whatever. But when I went and saw it, it was like they were the, the actual heavy replicas. I think they're probably from British Museum. Yeah, it, that'd be so, even just to see it, it would be so interesting. Well, maybe when, you, when your tournaments are back in, if I'm out that way, I'll bring them and you can do a display. That'd be amazing. Do you want me to send you uh, an email once we're back up and running? Oh, absolutely. You know what? When you're back up and running, send me an email. We'll talk again on here. Absolutely. That sounds great. Yeah, we'll get people uh, energized and we'll set up that boxing match. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> you go down the boxing guys there and they're like, you want to do what? <laughs> we'll set up everyone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we need more spectators. <laughs> we decided to have boxing. Oh, it's perfect. Well, you might get boxers involved in chess now. So there you go. Open up a whole new world to those kids. And chess players in boxing. Yeah. 
you know, you need that exercise. There Absolutely. You. All right. Okay. Well, there we go. All right. Thank you, Alex Murray, secretary yeah, of Brandon no Knight's Chess Club. And um, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. All right. And I was just kidding about that checkmate. Now it's checkmate. Now it's checkmate. Yeah. <laughs> well, we fought hard. Okay, I'm laying down my king. I'm laying it down because chess is just overwhelming right now. It's a long discussion about chess, and I'm not sure if I want to sit down and play a game or if I want to put the board away for a while. But I think I'm going to play a game. I might just uh, do that. Okay. So anyway, this is the Manitobaville podcast, as we mentioned at the top of the show. Um, we've been talking to Alex Murray today. Thank you, Alex, for that great interview. Uh, really enlightening and fun, fun to talk about chess and uh, all the ramifications thereof. Okay, if you have anything to say about it, just uh, hit us up on social medias. Just search Manitobaville. And um, yeah, you can tell people that we're on their favorite podcatcher. They just also have to search Manitobaville there and they can do it. So uh, subscribe, rate, review stick around for the next podcast just hit play on the thing the next one should start up anyway automatically okay so uh there you go checkmate we're done we're done for today so this is Mahangel. you're listening to the manitobaville podcast we thank you very very much for your participation and your listenership we uh, regard it highly all right, and uh, just a reminder that we're copyright 2022 by Rodeo Road Studios. Mm-hmm.